Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. I am back with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am joined today by Tony Davis. Tony is an electrical engineer who moved from X-ray CAT scanners into the cinema technology business over a decade ago. His company is Tessive, where he's developed technology for movie cameras and post-production. And until last year, he headed the technology group at Real D, the company that enables 3D movie presentation in over 30,000 theaters around the world. Uh, Tony, welcome... Um, welcome to the show. I'm glad that you could join us. Uh, oh, you, great. you, uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably going to be a little bit more negative about 3D than you might, you oh, might, yeah. you might love. But that's fine. Uh, that's fine. But uh, I want to start off with something positive. I'd, I'd kind of like to dis- to, to divide this discussion into two. Uh, discrete parts. The first mm-hmm. is about the technology of 3D, which I find interesting. I don't think people have a good grasp on, um, and and kind of how that technology intersects with um, the business of Hollywood. You know, the business of presentation and exhibition and all that. Um, if if you can if you can talk about that just a little bit. So, but the first thing I want to say something positive. Okay. Before, but and that that is the the last 3D movie that I have that I saw in theaters and and frankly the last 3D movie I had seen in theaters for quite some time um, was Gemini Man. I saw right. it in IMAX 3D, mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, in the high frame rate. Uh, presentation with you know the big IMAX screen and all that and I have to say it was it was it was a uh, it was one of the few times where I ever I've watched a movie in 3D and thought okay this really adds something to the experience it felt actually immersive you know there are explosions in this movie and the sparks um, feel like they're coming off the screen but not in kind of a cheesy way you know not like you know my bloody valentine 3d right like with the you know (laughs) knives coming right at your face or whatever but it felt it actually felt immersive like you were like you were in into the uh into the movie screen and into the experience could you could you talk a little bit about what director ang lee was doing there to make such a um, to, to, to use the technology in a way that transcended the gimmickry of it. Sure. Well, Ang Lee uh, has a vision for um, what he really had a vision for what he was trying to do to expand what movies look like, what the experience is. Uh, this is something that he's been working on for a lot of years, and he's, he's trying to bring uh, all of the different technologies to bear in a way that actually advances his artistic vision. And uh, this was, he started, uh, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. He started with Life of Pi, which was a very beautiful 3D movie. Uh, and then when he worked on, uh, he, when he made Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which was a movie not a lot of people saw, but this was his first uh, movie where he was pushing the frame rate boundaries and really pushing 3D into some, some um, uh, into a bigger look, into, into a more immersive uh, experience, something that you can't get at home. He really wanted to make, to differentiate uh, the theater experience from the home experience in a way that uh, that he he thought that the, the technology was really there for now, and that you know then led into Gemini Man. Again, it was as you say, it was a it was a high frame rate movie. It was 120 frames per second. Could you, yeah, could you explain to people what what the difference between high frame rate and regular frame rate? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, so for a hundred years, the frame rate has been standardized at 24 frames per second. And, and that's uh, ever since we've had sound sync, this is what uh, the frame rate has been. So 24 pictures per second makes up uh, almost everything we see on in both movies and most of television, especially in North America. Almost everything we see in scripted television is 24 frames per second. And that's got a a certain aesthetic now. It's actually transcended just a technology uh, boundary, but it's actually gone into something that that is part 
part of the the aesthetic of movies and the aesthetic of, of dramatic television. Um, and if you see high frame rate things, uh, you know, your local news will be a high frame rate to be 60 frames per second or, or uh, famously soap operas, you know, have that look It's mm-hmm. a 60 frame per second. Look, it looks different. It feels different. Um, and Ang Lee looked at this and said, no, we can go further. We can push this all the way up to 120 frames per second. So have an extremely high rate of change between frames. And so you have this, this, this fantastic clarity of uh, of imagery and he was also pushing the um uh, the the actual resolution of the images they're all 4k images uh his 3d is uh is is dual camera in camera uh 3d so it's actually two cameras on set uh doing the doing 3d that's not always the case in 3d movies um and it was it's uh you know just from the just sheer amount of data that's being put onto the screen it's it's you know 10 20 30 times more data than you normally get on a movie screen and 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 you feel it 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 is a very different feel when you have that high uh data rate on screen it's it's highly immersive it's pretty jarring because this is not what we normally see in movies it's very different uh, it takes a moment to kind of get into this into this world, um, but when you get into it, suddenly you just feel like you're there. You're just right there, and that was what he was going for in his uh, in his art on this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's it, you know it, you're right that it does feel it feels very different. The, there's the famous soap opera effect, mm-hmm. right? Which is uh, um, has there been has there been a lot of progress forward on the high frame rate front? Um, in recent years, because I remember the first, I'm pretty sure the first uh, thing I ever saw in theaters in high frame rate was the first Hobbit movie, right? which they showed, so they showed critics the first Hobbit in 3D uh, HFR, and it was, I would say the screening did not go well. Right. Um, so many, so many critics were just like, what am I, what is this what nonsense is this? that I'm what watching? Um, but, but I do think, and I, I frankly felt the same way. I, I, and I was, I was kind of dreading reliving that experience while watching Gemini Man and it was it was again it was much better it was it was it was a a much better experience um and i i'm i'm curious what the what the uh, the difference i don't what's it been now 5 years 6 years makes yeah uh, in that that stretch it really the the frame rate um is using frame rates artistically uh which is really what this comes down to is uh what what does it do to the art what does it do to to the experience you're trying to make um and the answer is it was a lot more uh, 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 radical than I think anybody thought. And, you know, I think the initial thought was, oh, well, we just shoot movies. We shoot them the same way we always did. But let's just crank the frame rate up. But it was a lot more um, difficult. Uh, when you crank the frame rate up, one of the things that happens is you just can flat out see more. And so a lot of the things on set that were pretty, you know, pretty normal, uh, uh, the costumes, the, the lighting, the you know, everything that was always very tra- traditional movie making, suddenly you could see the seams. I mean, you could in the Hobbit, you could you could almost see the you know the marks on the on the. Uh, 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 mm-hmm. you know, the, the wardrobe marks on the clothing and everything. You could see everything. And the lighting, normal cinematic lighting, which does not look very much, it does not look like real life. Um, suddenly that looks weird. I mean, whereas mm-hmm. before we accepted it because it was part of this nearly, uh, you know, 24 frames per second is a very, very low data rate. It's nearly watercolor. It's 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 nearly um, you know animation. It's a very it's it's a very stylized way of thinking. We have always thought, well, this is how we represent the real world. But I think what we found is, normal movies don't represent the real world that way. They 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 distance us from the action a great deal, partly through frame rate and a lot of other things. And that distance, when it was removed, 
suddenly everything else that was in place, all the rest of the artifice of movie making suddenly didn't work. And um, so uh, it, it was just, it was bizarre. You suddenly felt like you were watching an onset, you know, kind of documentary, the, the behind the scenes filmmaking of the thing. It didn't feel like a, a movie. So Ang Lee looked at this and said, I, I got to, I mean, he's very, been very upfront about this. He's talked about, I need to rethink everything. So in Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, he just threw everything out. The actors didn't wear makeup. They, they didn't have cinematic lighting. They used ambient lighting. Um, it was uh, it was a very experimental movie uh, in a lot of ways, and some of those experiments worked well in, in in his judgment, and some didn't. He changed, so he had a, he had a practice movie basically, and then made uh, made Gemini Man, where they went back a little bit to more cinematic lighting, uh, a little bit more of the artifice was there, and they played with well, what does it really mean to have this this kind of this the art? What is the art of cinema? What am I trying to say here? What are we trying to do? Uh, and it's. It was amazing how radical it was. He had to work a lot with the director of photography and the stereographers and everybody else on that set to to come up with this new with this new look that's a lot more um, palatable. But you have to get into it because it is almost a completely different language of cinema, and that's that's yeah. it's rough. What do what do filmmakers uh, and studios uh, get wrong about three D when they're when they're trying to make something? Um, leave. Let's leave aside the pure cash grab right. aspect right. of that. We'll come back to that in in a minute. But what what do what do filmmakers and studios get wrong about three D when they're trying to make a a three a successful three D movie for the audience? Well, yeah. If they're if they're really working at it, if they if this is the art that they want to to make, and they they're trying to make a really beautiful three D movie, um, it really falls uh there. It's still a little bit experimental. There's lots of things you can do. I mean, for as many three D movies as three D movies as we've had. It still has been a fairly short number of years that we've been making uh, uh, large-scale 3D movies. And a lot of times people will, uh, when they're making it, um, the biggest problem is that you don't you don't treat the 3D seriously or don't choose an aesthetic and that, that you carry on throughout. And so you don't take the audience into the 3D. It's... it's uh, you you need to make sure that as you're going from scene to scene and as you're setting up your scenes and as you're setting up uh, things on set and, and, and you know blocking and everything that you're doing, that you're remembering you're making a 3D movie and that you need to take the audience with you. So a lot of the normal 2D things, you know, you, you don't usually have, uh, uh, although you can and that's been done, but you don't usually have these giant face filling shots, you know, with a face just hanging there in space. That's kind of weird. You usually want to have people a little bit further back, and also if you're making a 3D movie, um, you you really do have to think in that third dimension. You have to think: Do I want um, the foreground to be extending nicely, kind of from the bottom of the proscenium, bottom of the frame, and, and extending out into the distance because that would draw the audience's view into this? Where normally in a 2D Im- image, you'd be framing things with kind of foreground, you know, branches of trees or things like this that that would just frame things nicely in 2D. Where you really might want to have something that that draws you in a lot more. That that way of thinking requires people who've really thought about it for a long time. So. Uh, People who have spent their whole careers making 2D movies, uh, when they want to make a 3D movie, they uh, it takes some takes some relearning of the craft uh, to do it mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Is there one one of the things again? So as as a critic, they would always uh, for a long time for for I would say I don't know between 2009 or 2010 and 2000. I want to say 13 or 14 or so, we would almost always go to the 3D screenings. Right. They would they would want us to do that. And then the studios, I think, realized how much critics are, how resistant we are as a class and a cast 
to this to this whole thing. So they stopped that. Right. Um, but I, so I, I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen probably more 3D movies than than the average uh, person. And this was before I had kids. And the thing that always jumped out at me most was that the animators got it better than the live action right. teams. The animators always seem to understand uh, that, or, or they seem more comfortable working with a depth of vision into the screen as opposed to, you know, coming out of the screen. Right. Um, is that, is that something that you, you have picked up on in your, in your work with, with artists or is it, is it just kind of still hit or hit, hit and miss? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen that. Um, uh, certainly that's exactly as you say that, uh, if there, if people working in animation, uh, they're already thinking about the depth of the scene that they're making. They understand how this works, uh, and and they also have a lot of flexibility to uh, to to move things around, uh, you know, kind of in real time, uh, and get things exactly the way they want it. Um, there are some technical aspects to making 3D movies that are still challenging. Uh, it's uh, if you film with two cameras, you've kind of locked in what you have for depth. If you do post-conversion, you have all the post-conversion issues. Post-conversion can go very well, uh, but it also can be challenging, and you lose a lot of uh, depth information that you would have had with two cameras. In animation, you have everything. You've got total control to put place things where you want them, to move them if you need to, uh, and to and to visualize them essentially in real time exactly how you'd like things to, to look. And so animation, and animation uh, has had a longer experience with um, with three D visualization anyway, because even in the late nineties, uh, computer animators were visualizing things with uh, stereoscopic displays and things like this and crazy glasses. So um, there's kind of a long history of of three D and and what looks good uh, in that in that world, uh, where the uh, you know direct uh, um, you know, live action people they didn't have that that level of work and then there there is even in the live action world there are kind of two artistic camps that are a little bit in, in tension um they both have their own aesthetic uh, both i love i mean i actually like both aesthetic roughly speaking it's the james cameron aesthetic and what we might call the uh the ang lee aesthetic uh although that's been used by uh, uh martin scorsese uh, and other people so it's the 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 um james cameron has has you know his group put down several rules for 3D movies that started with Avatar, and it was everything must be inside the screen, nothing coming out. Uh, everything's very naturalistic. It's very it's very real, uh, and so it's very easy to watch. But it also doesn't have a lot of just super depth to it. So the the 3D is sort of mild in a certain mm-hmm. sense. But it's also very it's very easy to watch and it's very easy to go from scene to scene and and so you can feel uh, feel very comfortable watching that. Um, if you remember in uh, twenty. 11 Hugo, uh, Martin Scorsese's movie. It's um, that was one of the first really deep 3D movies. I mean, this is one where where the the uh, depth of 3D was pushed well beyond reality. It was actually mm-hmm. it, things were extending out into the into the audience. Um, it wasn't poking you in the eye with uh, with spears and things, but it was uh, it yeah. was definitely deep and. It was pushing beyond even physical reality a little bit because when mm-hmm. you do some of that, you, you get a little bit more. Um, but he was using it. I mean, that's a that's a fantasy world anyway. I mean, it's it's a fantasy Paris, so uh, it's it's yeah. a it's a really and I've seen that movie again recently. That movie holds up. It's one of the most impressive three D movies ever made. Um, Ang Lee used the same three D team, so the same stereographers. We're working on Life of Pi and then uh, Gemini Man and Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Rock Walk. Um, that group has a very different, a very different aesthetic that I also like. But it's it's interesting because you start to see that there are styles to 3D in a way that we have styles to cinematography and styles to everything else, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 
as I said, I'm not I'm not the hugest fan of 3D sure. in the world. What what are what are the things that can go wrong with 3D? Okay, so I had as every every person in a business ought to have. I had a I had a marker board in my office with all the reasons people hate 3D. Right. So okay. uh, I mean, if if you're gonna if you're gonna make 3D systems, you'd better understand that some people just hate yep. it, uh, sure. and they hate it. We've talked about the the content itself, and that's one side of things. And it's a side that as a technologist we didn't really control. We would talk to people and we would give suggestions, but for the most part, that's what the artists do. And it's our job, just like you know, if you make a violin for artists, you know, I don't I don't control the art. I, I can make right, you a really right. good instrument. Sure. But on the exhibition side, there are issues. Uh, and uh, if I looked at those issues and, you know, so roughly speaking, just to talk about people who hate 3D, there's a lot. You are, you are in good company. Uh, there are, uh, uh, by, by our best numbers, uh, and these are old now, so I don't, I don't know what they are now. But uh, roughly speaking, there are 20% there are of, the, of the movie-going population who, who always seek out a 3D movie. They love 3D, and they will always, if there's a 2D or 3D movie, they will always, always go to the 3D uh, movie. Mm -hmm. There's about 30% of the population who hate 3D movies, and they will never see a 3D movie even if you paid them. So they, and so they are, they are, uh, um, will avoid it completely. The rest of the audience can be persuaded. If, it's, if, if they're given a good marketing pitch of why the movie would be really good in 3D, uh, or if their friends like to go see a 3D movie, uh, they will go do that. So that's, that's the list. So what are we, what's, what's driving people away? And, and uh, I don't have numbers on this, but my guess is that it's not getting better right now, right? So uh, the, the, the number of people who, who hate 3D has is, is, is been going up uh, over the years. And uh, the biggest problems are, I mean, what people would say is um, the movie was dim, the glasses were uncomfortable, the I got a headache, or I felt sick after watching the movie. Um, I, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I just don't like paying the money. That's that's one of them I can't do much about. But uh, there are issues of, uh, I mean, just simple brightness issues. Uh, 3D does suck up some of the light, uh, even with a very, very good system. Uh, you know, RealD uh, had has great systems for preserving as much light as we can out of the projector and they did a really good job on this but um you're going to lose light uh it's going to be dimmer and so you're going to need these digital projectors to run pretty hard to get up to the the required light level on the screen and there are standards for how bright it's supposed to be on the screen as the digital projectors have been aging though i mean digital projectors have been out for quite a long time they're an expensive piece of capital equipment uh they're aging and their and their ability to produce the amount of light you need is going down that's really uncomfortable uh if you're if you're watching a, a 3d movie and it's dim uh it, that that hurts you don't see the nice colors you don't see a thing and it will cause eye strain and fatigue and you'll be annoyed um uh, the, uh, the glasses, uh, there's been an enormous amount of engineering into the glasses designs to try to make them comfortable. Uh, when you're making two billion of those things, uh, it's quite a, the, the engineering design of those glasses a lot more than you'd think it would be. Uh, yeah. But you know, but people don't like wearing them over their own glasses. You know, they, they have problems with people who's like, I, I wear glasses already, and I got to stick these things over them, and they kind of reflect, yeah. and they don't work right. I'm not wearing my glasses right now, but I actually do usually wear glasses. Right, and it is, it is. I mean, look, it's it. It hurts. It actually causes it does. physical discomfort. Yeah, and I I, 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 I agree. I mean, uh, that was one of the things that um, you know had had been a uh, an ongoing project. I mean, people don't know, but there are actually uh, clip-on 3D glasses out there, and and that that are that are made available, but they're not they're not advertised very well, and people don't know about them. They uh, whenever I would uh, hand them to people in our screening rooms, you know, so I'd bring people in. Uh, they were always thrilled. It's like I never even knew these existed. This is fantastic, yeah. and they they fit really well. And 
Um, it was, uh, it was, there's a whole series of things like that. And one of the problems is just like a restaurant, if you have a bad experience, you're never going back. Uh, mm-hmm. so if, if one, if for some either artistic or technical reason, you have a bad experience in a 3d movie, it's very easy to say, I don't really want to ever do that again because I'm, I'm only going to watch this movie once and I want to have a really good experience watching it. And if I have a bad experience, it's not, I'm going to go back and give a second chance in 2d. I'm, I'm done. I watched the movie uh, for most people. They don't watch movies five or six times. So sure. It's really important that the quality on every single screening be excellent, and that's uh, difficult. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding from projectionist friends, the few projectionists who still exist, the the dying uh, breed, is that the the another another problem is that the 3D projectors essentially theaters are using the same projectors to do both 3D and 2D movies. Mm. And then a lot of the times they don't take the 3D filter off for the 2D movies. That happens. Which is not, this is not a you problem. This is, again, this is like an AMC problem and a Regal problem. Right. But So so the relationship between uh, people like, uh, so the, the, the industry on the back end is kind of interesting. Uh, the relationship between people like Real D or IMAX or Dolby is all very different. Real D is a, uh, so those 3D systems are all owned by Real D. They're actually essentially leased into the, into the, uh, into the uh, theater. Uh, it is um, recommended uh, strongly that they be pulled out for 2D showings, and they should be. Uh, for a lot of reasons, they should be pulled out. Uh, and there's usually a motorized drive that will pull them out and get them out mm. of the way. But uh, that doesn't always happen. Um, one of the things that, that happened is, so when Avatar came, so so the, the, the really brief history is, you know, uh, first modern 3D movie was uh, 2005. It was Chicken Little. Uh, the first big 3D movie, everybody knows, is Avatar uh, in 2009. And... When Avatar came out, it was right after uh, the big, you know, contractual deals had gone together between the studios and the exhibitors to put in digital projection. And 3D was part of the contractual deal. So there was that was when the big push to th- put 3D systems all across the country and all around the world happened. And at that time, there was an enormous amount of training that went into place to get the uh, exhibitors trained up and everything working and to make sure every single theater was working exactly right because there was all this attention on it. So there's this huge amount of attention to get the 3D working. Well, it's been 11 years, and uh, a lot of that training has gone. I mean, uh, people people go to different jobs and they do different things. It was sort of considered the sort of thing that just works, and you don't have to look at it all the time and, and, and mm-hmm. redo this. So, um, and, and the business has been undergoing um, difficulties. Uh, and so the, the attention to detail that is absolutely essential for public exhibition of movies. I mean, it's important that, I mean, just keeping the projectors in focus is a thing you have to do, and you've always had to do. and then you add a 3D system on top of that, which has its own alignment issues and and uh, positioning issues and all kinds of other things that you have to do. Right. And, I mean, not the li- not the, you know, not the least of which is cleaning the thing. Um, one of the things that that we found just going into systems and checking things out was just dust uh, and popcorn grease, which is a real thing. Popcorn grease, really? Oh my gosh, just gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. It goes to the whole place. It gets all in the screens. It gets on the optics. So you have high precision optics here. These are these yeah. are NASA grade optics that we're putting into stuff for 4K uh, transmission. And they got popcorn grease all over it. This is essentially impossible to clean off a first surface mirror. So, uh, yeah, so you have systems that um, need attention, that degrade. Uh, and and that's and when you have a business that's undergoing the problems that, that ex- exhibition was undergoing even before COVID, doing that sort of regular maintenance was very difficult. And um, 
And in the big theaters that people would go see, yeah, that would happen. But in Auditorium 16 down the hall, that was not happening uh, as well mm-hmm. as what we found. And different different theater chains would approach this different ways. But uh, uh, you know, they, they really were doing their best. But um, it's it's a tough thing. It's it's a very difficult thing to keep consistent on thirty thousand screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that it's it. There's a lot of moving parts there, yeah. and especially since they're you know, like I said, the the projectionist is a dying yeah is a is a dying breed. I remember once, uh, just brief digression here, not not related to 3D at all, but I was I was in a um I was in an AMC Dolby theater, one of their mm. Dolby setups. Nice. And I and I and I, the movie starts playing. Or first, the previews start playing, and I noticed that the um, the uh, ratings boxes at the bottom were cut off at the bottom. Oh, and I was like, I was like, something. <laughs> I I can already tell something is wrong here. And then I I the movie started and it had some subtitles. It was it was actually Ghost in the Shell. This is this is this. Oh, nice. So is it was it was a it's it, a movie I like. But the 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 first time I saw it, you know, the subtitles they have these you know subtitles mm-hmm. for the characters are speaking other languages and. They were cut off on the bottom, and I just ran out of the theater. I was like, "You have it in the wrong aspect ratio. Right. You need to, you need to get it into the." And the the guy like went, and he's like, "Oh, sure, whatever." What's your and like went, and he's like, and and they fixed it. Thank God, they fixed it. I came out, and the guy was like, "You were right. How could you tell?" I was like, "Because the the picture was wrong. That's How right. could you not? Tell? How could you not tell? Could, That's right you, there. You work here in this theater. How could you not? Like, I know. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, but like, it's a real problem. Even even in the nice theaters, even mm-hmm. in like again, this was the the AMC Dolby." you know with the Dolby experience yes and they just had it in the wrong aspect ratio and it drives me bananas it, um, it drives me absolutely crazy and I, I do the same thing I I I, I um <laughs> I never pull out my business card when I do that. I always, I always very secretly say, "Just I'm, I'm just a normal patron who would, who thinks that you know maybe you should put this in focus." Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I have these very stern conversations with you know the poor kid who's trying to run the things, right? Um, and uh, and I also know that you know in most theater chains, so Dolby will be a little different, but most theater chains, uh, there is nobody on premises who can do anything about that. They might be able to adjust focus, but um, you know your normal theater uh, uh, these days, the normal multiplex is essentially a giant robot that's run from another city uh and the only thing that's run locally is the concession stand um yeah the the marquee the projectors the lights the door locks everything is con- is computer controlled from you know plano texas or something like this and uh that's uh and so they have i mean the doors are literally locked they can't even get up and except for you know a couple of managers might be able to get up there but they can't even go up there to do anything about those systems up up there uh, and so you'll have what are essentially programming errors going on in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- and it's not something that the, th- the theater chains are unaware of. They they really have been trying to put in systems to maintain quality. Um, and some some groups do it. Uh, uh, you know, some, one of the things I th- thought was really cool is uh, IMAX actually has a system that starts up every single morning. It's got cameras and microphones and stuff that, that remotely check. Uh, their systems out. So every morning, those systems go through this full automated check for like forty-five minutes, running uh, test clips, test DCPs, and things like this, uh, so that the folk, so the Canadians are always assured that everything's yeah. fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that. So I actually interviewed uh, an IMAX executive last year or the year before for a Washington Post piece, and I was blown away by this mm. that they have this whole kind of remote um, system in place to make sure that every theater in the country that has an IMAX projector right. in it, even, you know, the like kind of rinky dink, you know, the multiplex IMAX, you know, the fake IMAX. Um, they, they like make sure that the, the, the bulb is bright enough and the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the screen is clean and all that stuff. It, like, 
I was uh, I was I was very impressed. Yeah, um, yeah. They're to, to to learn that they're very good at this. There are other groups, uh, uh, different. The, some of the theater chains have started to put that sort of uh, technology in uh, to because they know that this is a this is an ongoing problem. But it, it's been a little bit slower to have widespread uh, um, use of those sorts of technologies. But uh, I mean, look, if you're not going to have a projectionist saying they're doing your quality, you'd better have something. And mm-hmm. I think that there was this gap that happened in the industry where we did have. Uh, uh, trained people who cared about movies, who were you know really in there checking the bulbs and checking the the optics and things like this, and and then for a lot of reasons those people just weren't there on a regular basis. They still exist, but they but they cover multiple multiplexes and things like. Usually they'll they'll travel around a region, uh, and that just left a lot of problems for people. And and so the big competition now, if I mean if the window's going away, uh, then I mean you know. Oh my goodness! You know, we might actually have to compete on actual quality between a theater and your home theater, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something kind of scary because you know my home theater beats a movie theater by a lot of metrics. I mean, uh, by mm-hmm. brightness, color gamut matches, uh, sound levels match. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things, and and movie theaters are now looking at how do we if we don't have exclusivity. Uh, on a movie, if you can watch a movie at your home and in a movie theater at the same time, how do you convince people, I need to go to a movie theater. I need to go to that movie theater and experience that. And um, so they're looking, you know, now, and they've been looking for a while, but the, the economics of it just didn't work quite right because they had exclusivity. I mean, when there's exclusivity, mm-hmm. you know, e- even the best intentions a little bit get diluted to that. So I think, yeah. I think it could be, I, I'm a little excited about what might happen. Uh, well, this is so. This is this is brings us to kind of the second part of the conversation, which is the business side of things. Mm. Because I mean, this is this is a very tenuous time in the exhibition world for all sorts of reasons. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm fond of the thought that COVID has basically sped everything up by ten years. Yeah, um, all sorts of changes, and and I think that's especially true in theatrical, right? So, yeah. you know, as it is, 3D is already losing market share to 2d mm. um i mean this is this is true year over year yes um and uh you know people are going to be going to the theaters less i think probably for the foreseeable future anyway um even after everything you know god only knows when everything's going to open again oh please soon. um yeah yeah god <laughs> i i need to i need to get back to a theater i'm, uh, I'm going i'm losing my mind <laughs> but but i mean it's 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 a real it's a real pickle especially for again 3D, which is a tough technology for people. So, I mean, what are what are and I uh, one thing I actually I'm I'm actually really curious about. You you mentioned that the the projectors are um, getting old yes. essentially, yes. and they are they are in need of replacing in some in some cases or you know fine tuning or whatever. I mean, what is what is the actual what is the actual solution here look like? Does it look like the studios again going to the theaters and saying, hey, we're gonna chip in a certain amount of money? Is it you know? Uh, is it is it the 3D companies? Is it IMAX? I mean, like, what is what's the actual? How do we get better projectors into the theaters so you can have that experience again? Well, I say, um, so I, I just I just send fan mail to Jeff Bezos all the time. But anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't Amazon movie company, Amazon movie you know company. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Um, so. Uh, there, it's a distressed industry, and uh, the different chains have different, you know, uh, financial structures, which I don't get into because oh, finances are so boring, and I'm a technology guy. But, uh, but it's that's going to be what drives it, right? So, um, 
the the projectors, many of which were paid uh, through this kind of crazy financial scheme that was that was put together at the start of uh, digital cinema. The start of digital cinema, there was this transfer uh, payment system made from the studios to the exhibitors, basically, but not directly to the exhibitors. The studios were essentially financing the projectors with these mm -hmm. uh, virtual print fees that they were doing, and a lot of and and that 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 has. Um, that that period is over. There are are no more new virtual print fees coming along, which means that the projectors now are just they, they, these chains just have to pony up the capital money. And we're talking uh, just just for rough numbers, uh, a, a projector in an auditorium can be anywhere from forty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars. So these are very expensive pieces of equipment. They're also just flat out not lasting as long as people were hoping. Uh, what is why, what is causing that? I mean, is it just is it the popcorn grease? Is it, it the? I mean, it, you know. it's partly that. Partly it was just a very new technology. And uh, a lot of the um, uh, the optics in them, and the uh, um, the light switches and things like this, just didn't l have the longevity that they had estimated on these things. Uh, but it is partly maintenance. There are there have been maintenance issues. Uh, it's there's actually. Um, this steps in an enormous uh, debate slash you know yelling screaming argument about <laughs> uh, what in the world's going on with you know the projectors. Um, but the but the truth is that the, the projectors are. Um, there was some surveys of the actual light output of projectors done in the past uh, couple of years, and it was actually pretty shocking to everybody how the projectors were performing. And uh, you know, there's a there's a whole classes of projectors that just aren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, even with light engine replacements and things like this in them. So there, so there's, and you just can't get some parts for some of these old older projectors. So um, that's that's been a, a whole thing. And and the um, the different uh, theater chains had been looking at. Uh, major capital equipment purchases to actually replace large swaths of their projectors, but they were all, you know, looking at, you know, huge amounts of money to do that, mm -hmm. and also at the same time looking at are these also going to just last ten years? I and mean, we expected twenty. Uh, you know, right. if, they, if they last half as long as we were hoping, what in the world are we going to do? So that that so a few things just hit all at once. There was the kind of the projector problem that was coming along. There was the fact that just movie viewing in general was declining. Three uh, D declining is an issue for everybody. Even uh, you know for all, we've talked about all the reasons people may not like that, but it isn't. It's a financial issue too. Three D is one of the, in a certain sense, the three D revolution was one of the financial things that got got us over the top so that we could do digital cinema, uh, because mm -hmm. it's one of the only places besides I mean besides popcorn. It's one of the only places that a local theater makes money. Uh, so that $3 upcharge you get for a 3D movie is uh, substantially going to the, uh, the the local theater itself, and it's a big mm -hmm. deal for them. Sure. So the the it's all of these things hit at once, and then COVID came, and everybody is right now. Everybody's just so numb. They're like, what do we even do? Um, and uh, and so all of these interesting ideas are starting to you know kind of come off the shelf and be dusted off and say, well, maybe we could do some of these things we didn't think we needed to do before. So like what? Well, there's 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 crazy ideas floating around. One is so one is that you know there, there had been a bit of the industry, uh, uh, you know, obviously not the 3D providers, but the industry generally had sort of given up on 3D and said, well, people don't like it, so maybe we won't do anything with that. Uh, but then there was a little bit of a resurgence. I mean, uh, Gemini Man did good 3D business. Uh, you know, and, uh, Lita Battle Angel did good 3D business. Mm -hmm. um, so movies that actually were designed and marketed for 3D seemed to actually do pretty well. So the idea is, well, maybe we don't do a scattershot approach to 3D. Maybe we just really do it for the movies that that need it. And we also concentrate on how many theaters really need a three to be able to do 3D exhibition, and we and we increase the quality on those theaters. Really go clean them up, put right. really good equipment in, really fantastic bulbs, make those things work. But the other idea was, 
um, there's for a lot of years there was this big push to premium large format theaters. That's the IMAXs, Dolby's, uh, you know, Regal, RPX, uh, the, the the really big, you know, seventy foot screens and giant projectors or or multiple giant projectors and you know hundreds and hundreds of seats in a in a huge auditorium, uh, which is great. But the problem is it doesn't scale the way you'd think. It actually gets very expensive to outfit a theater that way. And one of the things that had been rattling around was kind of this, this, this crazy idea of, of a, uh, a premium small format theater. Uh, uh, take Auditorium 16 down the hall. Which So if you're me and big movie comes out you want to see, but I've got things to do. There's a lawn to mow and stuff to do and family to see. So I miss the opening weekend. And I'm like, okay, I'll get it next weekend or the third weekend. If I see it third weekend, I'm in Auditorium 16, and I'm going to have an experience that is demonstrably inferior to what I would have had at home, and I will not go uh, th- third week. And so these movies don't have very long legs anymore because people who are discerning don't go to the don't do it, uh, don't go down there to even mess with that. And if there's no window, sure. you won't go at all because there's no reason. Because the only last reason was because it was soon. Um, well, it's not actually that expensive to turn Auditorium 16 into something really phenomenal, uh, because the, the the screen is only 30 feet wide. You can light that up with a with a projector that costs a quarter what the big projector costs, and it, and maybe an eighth. Uh, you can put object sound that's a Dolby Atmos or or something similar in there. Mm-hmm. You can have a really fantastic architecture in that room that's very inviting. You have you know, these fa- fabulous seats, and so make it a 50 person seated auditorium, and um, the the economics for that didn't really work too well before because uh, people would see it in Auditorium 16 because they had to. Uh, maybe that looks better. I mean, maybe that starts to look like something you could do and and would actually work well and might be coupled with some other interesting ideas related to memberships and uh, you know, you know, you know, people have their kind of movie sure. memberships and things like this and say sure. you're guaranteed a seat and we're going to have this movie for eight weeks like you used to be able to see it. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting idea. I like it. You know, uh, I hadn't. I, I didn't realize that you could get a projector for that much cheaper for that size it, it, auditorium. It scales really well, and and the projector you get for cheaper can be really amazing. So th- there are. So if people buy new projectors now, there are laser projectors and laser phosphor projectors. Uh, so a, a true RGB laser projector, which is something that's really being pushed a lot now, and there, so there are fairly inexpensive. Uh, now and that's new RGB laser. So this is using actual lasers for illumination. No, so it's not a xenon bulb like like projectors mm-hmm. used to use. It's actual lasers coming out of the front of that snout uh, of the projector and lighting up on the screen. And you get these amazing colors uh, using that sort of an illumination source. It's still a DLP projector, digital light, uh, you know, the, the TI processor. But the colors you get are just astonishing. The contrast you get is astonishing. You can have something on screen that comes, you know, uh, that that really pushes. Uh, what you get on OLEDs at home, you can. Uh, Dolby's been doing this on their the Dolby Vision projectors. Of course, are just astonishing. The black levels they make are great. Well, we're now seeing inexpensive projectors that can come close to those levels of quality that 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 you get on a million dollar Dolby projector. You can get that for fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and. There are different screen technologies as well. So the screens themselves don't have to have the crazy hotspot in them. You can have a beautiful, smooth, flat screen. Uh, and and uh, uh, there's there's aspect ratio questions. You could actually make a really nice, uh, wide, so, so what they call a scope screen, cinema scope screen, super wide. Mm-hmm. In a 30-foot auditorium, sit close to it. You're in your far field of focus, which means that from where you're sitting, 
you can't really tell if it's 100 feet from you or 50 feet from you because you it's it's far enough away that you can't do that. It's very different from sitting, what you'd have to do in your theater at home is sit three feet from your screen. And I have to wear my reading glasses if I do that. And that's not, that's not okay. So you can make something that's really impressive, but because you don't have to put as much light out, this the, the cost scaling goes really well. And the lifetime of those projectors is projected to be quite good uh, because the lasers, uh, laser light sources mm -hmm. run really well. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, do you think, and this is this is possibly beyond the scope. We may have to we may have to cut this. Ah. I don't know. Uh, do you think uh, that that James Cameron's never ending Avatar series will be enough to save 3D as a viable commercial com uh, system for the? The, the foreseeable future. Well, it's really hard to say. Uh, you know, if, there's if we ever see it, who knows? if we if it ever yeah. comes out. Uh, I mean, that is that has been the um, that has been the great hope for a lot of companies right now is that 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 uh, James Cameron will come in and save us all. Uh, and it's uh, the thing is nobody ever bets against James Cameron. I mean, this you just should not do that. Uh, he has every time has been able to put things together. He's put things together that are just amazing. Uh, and Avatar was uh, an amazing movie. People don't really remember the plot of Avatar very much, but but they do remember the experience. I mean, it went in there sure. and it was something really new and really different. Um, whether you can capture that new and different feel from just a technology standpoint at this point is is kind of up, up for grabs. But um, would I bet against him? I would not. Uh, so uh, at this at this point, it's going to be a, it's going to be a little while um, before we see it. Uh, he's he's always been in his group uh, is always very serious about uh, image quality. Of course, we we had a bit of a run with this uh, with Alita Battle Angel, uh, which was Robert Rodriguez mm -hmm. director, but this was under the James Cameron uh, Productions, and uh, there was um, from Fox a very strong push to get the 3D quality up at that point. And uh, it was a huge push. I mean, uh, we were we had we had different groups on the phone and on email and everything with basically every theater in the country. Uh, so for that one, it was, it was particularly a North America push. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was, let's get the quality back up. Uh, let's let's get back to avatar levels. Let's really make this go. Uh, and it actually did clean things up quite a bit. It got it was a huge improvement to uh, to systems. I mean, it found all kinds of just little things to fix, just clean things and, and, and make it better. Um, when you have that kind of person behind uh, behind things, uh, it it does actually help. When the director is in favor of it, and uh, and if that director is James Cameron, uh, things move. It's uh, as I was told, it is James Cameron's world, and we just live in it. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned producing fewer of these three D movies and doing them really well. So you know, maybe maybe less of the post conversion. Um, uh, uh, stuff and more, more, you know, two camera yeah. or whatever. I mean, whatever, whatever, whatever it takes. takes. Right. But is would is three D still viable at that point if you're only making say five really good three D movies a year or you know that's seven or eight? That's the. I mean, I it's the big question, right? So is it still viable at that that level? And, and uh, uh, possibly uh, one of the things that uh, this, it will really depend on what happens to the industry. So. Right now, everything's constrained by these uh, by the financial structure of how you know, what the ticket prices are and what the split of those tickets is and where the three D money goes and who's paying for the glasses and on and on and on. Right. And so that's very it's very complicated and it was very complicated uh, to put that structure in place in the first place. Um, so 
but it, it seems to me personally that that structure is going to have to be revisited. Uh, and uh, that, I mean, look, if the window is being revisited, that I don't see why the financial structure isn't going to be looked at as well. So if that's the case, you know, do, is every movie you go to, is it the same price? I mean, do, uh, should mm -hmm. ticket prices be exactly the same for each movie that you see? Should a 3D movie, may not instead of a, 3D, a $3 upcharge, maybe it's more. Uh, but but you're really promised it's going to be worth it. I mean, it's you're you're going to like this. You're going to have fun. Uh, uh, if you don't like it and you're not having fun, why in the world are you at the movies? You know, we we need to make sure this is just really exciting and fun for people. So, I think I think it's going to have to be a business model question more than is the technology is all there. There is technology to mm -hmm. make. Um, just put in, just give a couple of numbers. Uh, standard 3D movie is at, so we're very old fashioned history. We use foot Lamberts for our brightness levels. Standard 3D mm -hmm. movie is supposed to be at four foot Lamberts. A normal 2D movie is supposed to be at no more than 14 foot Lamberts. And there's reasons why there's a, a, a do not exceed number on that. Um, most good theater chains, uh, especially in the PLFs, the, the premium large format theaters, will be showing your 3D movie uh, at eight to 10 foot Lamberts, a really nice bright 3D movie. A bad projector, and we've seen more than one of these, uh, will be running at one foot Lambert in 3D, mm -hmm. uh, which is unwatchable. It's terrible. Yeah. So if you if you really start pushing brightness, if you have just a few 3D movies and you have something that is a 14 foot Lambert 3D movie, so it's the same brightness as a 2D movie, and it's uh, and you have the equipment to do that, and you're really paying five or more dollars upcharge for that, that experience, uh, there is a business for that. I mean, that can be made to work. Um, but it's a question of whether or not all of the players in this can actually make that happen. Yeah. Well, you know, that uh, is pretty much everything I wanted to know about 3D. This is great. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, is, there, is, is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to throw a, you know, throw a, hey, come, come check out my stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, you can always, uh, anybody who would like to uh, contact me can always uh, email me at Tony at Tessive.com. That's T-E-S-S-I-V-E.com. Uh, if you have any questions about things. Uh, the uh, the other things I would plug is anybody who has a 3D television at home should check out a couple of 3D Blu-rays. And here 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 are my recommendations recommendations for for the for both people who still have a 3D television at home. Uh, they are Dial M for Murder, the 1954 Alfred Hitchcock movie. That movie was shot in native 3D and it was presented with polarized 3D, not anaglyph, uh, not the red-blue uh, glasses. And there's a restoration on Blu-ray that you can go buy. Uh, Amazon has it. And it's just astonishing uh, to see what Alfred Hitchcock would do with 3D in 1954. Uh, the other movie that you have to find, and it's tricky, and I had to get it from, but Amazon had it. It just shipped from China, is a crazy movie that's called The Young and Prodigious T.S. Spivet. Uh, it is an it, it got it got sent straight to Netflix, so it never got a 3D release. But it is one of the most beautiful 3D movies you will ever see, and it's kind of hilarious. And it has Helena Bonham Carter in it, and it's uh, pretty wild. And it was it's just gorgeous. So if you want to see how 3D can be a beautiful cinematic experience, something that's really transportive, those are a couple of movies I recommend. Excellent, uh, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we'll be back next week with another installment of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Mm -hmm.